Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game in Consumer Industries, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in a digital world, to run, grow, connect, and transform, to engage customers and patients across their journey. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Let's see what's going on here, what our topic is today. Okay, the buzz from a paper by Deloitte.com here is, as consumers prosper from stable U.S. and global economies, and that's good news, of course, the consumer products industry will reinterpret traditional levers to fuel growth in a hyper-connective, I'm sorry, hyper-competitive market. Now, think about that. I've got a lot of in here. We've got economies, we've got consumer products industry, which we'll call CP for today's episode, traditional levers to fuel growth, everybody wants economic growth, and hyper-competitive market, a lot to concentrate on. So what in the world is going on? Let me give you a little background. CP, consumer products companies, are being forced to rethink everything. That's right, status quo is not cutting it anymore. They're looking at their channel partner relationships, same old, not anymore. They're looking at their product mix, good enough, not anymore. They're looking at their pricing strategies, same old, uh uh-uh, you get the picture. Why is this happening? Well, look at the marketplace. Business, as usual, has been disrupted. Of course, you know about e-commerce giants like Amazon just taking over. Okay, how about innovators with direct-to-consumer subscriptions? I think we know a couple of those. And some retailers are expanding their private label lines and becoming more competitive with CP. So how can CP companies use data? We all know data is the new oil. It's the new water. It's the new everything to bolster their brands, their power, and and strengthen relationships with consumers? Aha, that's the question on the table today. Our topic is consumer products industry under attack. Time to reclaim market share. Yes, I have a panel of three experts. Let me tell you briefly who they are, and then we'll get started. First up, welcoming back a guest who hasn't been on in a long time. Happy to have him back. It's Jerry Wolf. if you're looking him up, W-O-L-F-E. He's the founder and CEO of Vivanda, V-I-V-A-N-D-A, and he'll tell us a little bit about his company later. Joining us is a newcomer, Barbara Thau, T-H-A-U. She's a contributing retail writer for Forbes.com. She covers this industry, and she has a lot to share with us in rounding out the panel. Another newcomer is Colby Sheridan. He's a global director of sales and trade management solutions at SAP. So welcome to our esteemed panelists. And now let's see what kind of quotes they sent me. Jerry Wolf knows that I love to get quotes from music, from lyrics and interesting things. And he picked a wonderful quote from Bob Dylan. Come on, everybody. Bob Dylan's still around. 1941, he was born. Robert Allen Zimmerman, American singer, songwriter, author, painter, and influential figure in popular music and culture for more than 50 years. Seriously. Here is a quote from his song, The times they are a change and Jerry I'm not going to sing it if you want to you can sing but I'm not going to do that I don't want to lose our audience come gather round people wherever you roam and admit that the waters around you have grown and accept it that soon you'll be drenched to the bone if your time to you is worth saving then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone for the times they are a changing Jerry Wolf have you been <clears throat> I am doing fantastic good morning Good morning. How did I do the read on that? Was it sheer poetry or did I do did I do okay? Come on. 
frankly, I think you could have uh, you could have sung it, and uh, I don't think anybody would have complained relative to Bob's voice. So <laughs> yeah, I think you were safe no matter what you did there. You're very kind. Jerry, I need you to move a little closer to your speaker. We're losing you just a little bit. I need you a little more solid there. So go ahead. Tell me how you picked this quote. I think it's perfect. The times, they are a-changing. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's exactly right. I, I, you know, the, 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 what you said in the opening is, is exactly right. The traditional, the traditional tactics in CP of, you know, mass market media delivering awareness for brands and then a hot price at shelf to catch attention of a shopper wandering down the aisles of a grocery store to close the deal. It just doesn't work that way anymore. I mean, just that path to purchase, it has literally been completely disrupted. And so if you keep trying the same tactics to make that work, you know, it's not, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that, that you're just not going to get the result that you used to get. And, and that's what we're seeing, and in part, that's what's opening the doors for for some of the the intrusions that are better targeted at meeting consumer needs that, that, that you outlined in the in the opening. Private label, direct, you know, e-commerce, you know, what have you. Thank you, Jerry. And Jerry, we're going to find out a little bit about Vivanda when we come back to you on the part of the show called Western Your Cup today. You know there because you, when was the last time you were on with me? A year ago? Two years ago? Do you remember? That's almost two years now. Oh, my. Well, gone too long. We have to get you back more often. Thank you, Jerry. And I, I love the lyrics. And, uh, yeah, I'm glad we covered a lot of the, the high points of the topic in the opening. That always sets the stage right for our listeners. So thank you and hang tight. We'll be back to you in a few minutes. And now welcoming Barbara Thau. As I said, she's a contributing retail writer for Forbes.com. And Barbara has sent us a quote from Paul Thomas Anderson, also still around, born in 1970. I call that a young kid. He's often referred to by his initials. I guess he's a Rock star, PTA. He's an American filmmaker. In 1993, he wrote and directed a short film titled Cigarettes and Coffee on a Budget of Only $20 thousand dollars. He's been nominated for eight Academy Awards over the course of his career. His work has earned a further 25 Academy Award nominations and three wins for cast and crew. And his film, There Will Be Blood, has been named by several critics as the best film of the 2000s. Oh my. Here's the quote. I am always looking for that nuance, that moment of truth. And you can't really do that fast. Barbara Thau, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? Thank you. I'm well, thank you. Good to be here. We're delighted to have you. I did not know the name PTA, Paul Thomas Anderson. Happy to be introduced to him. So tell me how you picked this quote for our topic. I think it's a delightful quote, and I think it applies to life in general. So talk to me. Yes. Well, he's he's one of my favorite filmmakers, and he deals in nuance. And um, unfortunately, the current landscape, be it the media landscape and how we talk about uh, retail, and not just media, but industry-wide, we talk in sound bites. And I think that what's happening in retail is incredibly disruptive, but it is, it, but there is nuance in what's happening, and not, and that'll that'll help everybody understand the retail industry, and that's what's getting lost. And overall, to say that digital commerce, you know, is killing off physical stores is just lazy thinking, and it's a half-truth. And I think that we need to think more in terms of nuance, in terms of what's happening to the retail sector. Yes, Amazon is the nation's biggest online retailer, but it's not killing retail. It's a complex, it is a complex answer, but, you know, it takes time and understanding to get at that answer, which is, which is lost often. And um, 
So that's what that's where that quote came from, and that's what that why that quote for me resonated in terms of understanding what's happening at retail. Thank you, Barbara. I'm I'm hearing in your comments, I'm hearing in your voice some from frustration at the the mode of thinking, like oh, it's dead. Oh, we're out of business. Oh, there's nothing we can do. And you're saying you just have to understand and go into those nuances and figure it out. Do you think retailers are optimistic? And and uh, do you think that they are, or they're just boohooing in their coffee and saying, yeah, we got to go find something else to do and make make money another way? What, what's your thought? Well, I think it's a mixed bag. I think that that you know retailers who are I think retailers get it because they're actually retailing. <laughs> you know, in other words, the biggest—you uh-huh. know—there's so much talk about Amazon killing off physical retail. Well, beyond Amazon, who are the biggest? Who are the biggest online retailers? The legacy retailers, the WalMarts, the Macy's, the J.C. These are the biggest online retailers. But if you know the average consumer hearing the coverage and hearing the talk, even within industries, would think that. That you know that Amazon was dominating the retail industry. That's not the case. It, it varies by product category. You know, apparel is maybe twenty percent of of, um, of the online market versus a tiny percentage in groceries online has. So th- this is what I mean by nuance: understanding per cat- product category what's happening at retail, understanding the complexity as to why retailers are closing stores. It's not just because Amazon. It's just be- it's because. We are in America is one of the over is the most overstored retail market in the world. It's because shoppers are changing. It's because there's too much product for the, for the demand. It's because the consumer has the the choice that they've never had. See, the, it's the nuance that takes time to unpack, and the, and the details get lost. And when you lose the details, how are you going to solve anything? That's my thank you. Sense. I, I appreciate it. There's a lot more than three cents in there, a lot of words of wisdom, and, and I appreciate that. Thank you, Barbara, and we're delighted to have you on the show, and thanks for introducing me to Paul Thomas Anderson. I'm going to see if I can follow him and figure out what he's all about, so thank you. And now welcoming our other newcomer, Colby Sheridan at SAP, and Colby has picked up a quote that's just a, it packs a punch in it, literally and figuratively, from Mike Tyson. Come on, who doesn't know Mike Tyson? I just didn't know he had a middle name. Michael Gerard Tyson, born 1960. Interesting that all three of our quoted sources are still alive today. That's unusual. He's an American former professional boxer who competed from 1985 to 2005. He holds the record as the youngest boxer to win a heavyweight title. He was 20 years, 4 months, and 22 days old. I'm sure that'll win you a trivia contest somewhere, Colby. And he's nicknamed Iron and Kid Dynamite and later known as the baddest man on the planet, considered one of the best heavyweights of all time. And here's the quote. This is a doozy. Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. I don't know whether to laugh or cry. Colby, welcome. How are you? Thank you for having me. Good morning. Colby, I love the quote. Are you a big follower of uh, Are you a big follower of Mike Tyson, or, or did you used to be following his career? I'm not. No, I, I mean, I, I guess I'm at an age where he was hitting his prime when, when I was a lot younger and uh, certainly enjoyed you know, following him, at least from afar. But the quote just really kind of jumped out at me. It's certainly not as cerebral as some of the other uh, panelists um, who shared, but it, it really jumped out at me uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it's, it's obviously visual, right? So we, we, we get that. Um, but two, in the topic matter that we have today, uh, a, a lot's changed in the consumer products industry. A lot's changed with retailers. And these are companies made up of people that had a plan. They, they had a carefully baked plan 
that they've been working on for decades, and it's worked for them. Um, and uh, things have changed a lot that we'll obviously get into over the next hour. Um, but the sands are really shifting underneath their feet. And these are, again, smart people who have baked these plans, um, but all of a sudden things have changed. And it, this, this quote really jumped out at me because um, it, it came out when Mike was fighting, I believe it was Evander Holyfield, and he talked about how you know, his opponent was studying him, studying his moves, and, and, uh, and, and knowing exactly what his strengths were, what his weaknesses were, and he had a plan. And all that goes out the window after the first punch connects. Um, and so that really resonated with me when we start talking about, again, consumer products and, and retail because things have changed and plans have to be reevaluated. Indeed. Thank you very much, Colby. Pleasure to have you on the show. And now we're going to circle around the table to Jerry Wolf at Vivanda. And Jerry knows what this part of the show is all about. It's called What's in Your Cup Today. I have two personal questions to ask each. Actually, three personal questions to ask two of our panelists. How's that? Uh, Jerry, not too personal, but too personal. Number one, where are you calling from? Number two, what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world? If it's not in your cup, I don't want to know what you're drinking right now. And number three, give us an update on what Vivanda does and, and how everything is going. So, Jerry, you're up. Yeah, great. Like I said, good morning. So, I'm calling from uh, lovely Baltimore, Maryland, Charm City, aptly named. Um, I am uh, in my cup is a delicious uh, cortado. Oh, what's which that? Is, uh, for those who don't know, is a is a kind of a small version of a cappuccino. I believe it has some uh, uh, Cuban heritage, uh, and it's absolutely lovely. And, uh, and okay, but, go ahead. And, uh, so I'm 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 absolutely sipping that out of my cup this morning, as I do most days. And um, and Vivanda is a is a technology company that that provides uh, services to, to to digitize taste and help. Uh, help and, and to predict preference of consumers, and there's tons of of, uh, of marketing and, and trade marketing applications for retailers and for CP manufacturers, food and beverage manufacturers, and it's all and we're all about uh, making personalization uh, really work and 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 be more effective at influencing uh, consumer choice. Thank you very much. Happy to have you back. And I did, you know what I did. I Googled Cortado and I've got an article here that says, what's the difference between a flat white and a Cortado? One's from Spain, one's from Australia, but there's more to the differences than provenance. So anybody wants to look that up on your own, C-O-R-T-A-D-O. We always love unusual drinks. Thank you, Jerry. Pleasure to have you back. And now let's go to Barbara Thau. Barbara, love to get to know a little bit about you, but first, where are you calling from? And what are you drinking if it's really interesting right now? If not, what are you planning to drink later? (laughs) I am in New York City in the East Village where I live and where I grew up before it was cool and trendy when nobody wanted to be here. Um, And I'm actually drinking, it's not going to be as fancy, but I'm really enjoying it as what um, the other, your earlier, sorry, Colby just said, right? Sorry, not mm. Colby. We just said no, that was Jerry. Said sorry, Jerry. Um, it's, a, it's a Starbucks Americano with coconut sugar. Mmm. What does that taste like? Coconut with it's, sugar, right? It, it's <clears throat> coconut sugar. Actually, it's just coconut sugar, sugar made from coconut. 
and it has a, I want to say it has a, like a little earthier, smoother taste, less sweet, but good. Good. And tell me a little bit about what you do and, and how long you've been writing about retail. I've been writing about retail for over 20 years, and I'm a contributing retail writer for Forbes.com, for which I write my weekly Mining the Stores column, uh, and I also write for other publications, and I write content on the retail and consumer products industries for various corporate clients. And Barbara, I imagine this is an exciting time for you with everything changing. We've just talked about a little bit about uh, time to reclaim market share, and it's no longer status quo. So is this giving you a lot of good fodder for your articles and, and your, uh, your observations? Every day. <laughs> Every day. A woman Every of many minute. words and a woman of few words. I appreciate that very much. <laughs> and how, how, is, how is the village these days? Is it uh, coming back into its own? Is, it, is real estate soaring there? Uh, well, depending on what, you know, that, that's a whole other conversation. If you, it's completely kind of lost its soul, in my view. Oh. But uh, that's, that's, that's what that is, right? Okay, that is another. Soul. Actually, retail is gaining its soul in many ways, I would argue. Ah, aha, that's a quotable moment. Retail is gaining its soul. I know that uh, Don Gordon is listening, who, who organized the show. Don, you can, you can tweet that one if you want to. I think that would be great. Thank you very much. Thank you, Barbara. Pleasure. And now, Colby Sheridan, where are you, and what do you love to drink? I am in Atlanta, Georgia, um, actually a, a northwest suburb called Marietta, um, and uh, I'm drinking coffee. Um, certainly not as exciting as Jerry's, but it's French press coffee, so at least I'll get a little street cred for that. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I uh, make a tall cup and a tumbler in the mornings, um, grind my own beans, so hopefully I get a little respect for that in that regard, but, but it's just coffee. Um, I guess <laughs> speaking of quotes, it's, you know, one of my favorites is uh, beer for good ideas and coffee to get them done. So it's 10.20 a.m. my time, so it's coffee. Oh, beer for good ideas and coffee. That's a new one. That That's salvage thing. You're just drinking coffee, but you did get creds for, for French press. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm leaning out my window right now very carefully, Colby, and I'm waving at you because I'm in Durham, North Carolina, so I can sort of see you down there somewhere, yeah, wherever you are. Or, yeah, Just up the road. There you go. Just up the road. I Barbara, I was in New York for the past 35 years on Long Island oh. in Great Neck. Oh. And I relocated here to Durham almost nine months ago, and it's certainly different. And I, I have to confess to all of you, I just experienced my first power outage this morning. Uh, apparently, it went out at 4.30 this morning, and I woke up to no power, no internet, no computer, no nothing. Wow. And had somebody teach me how to manually open my garage door so I could turn the car on and, and power up and charge up my cell phone, alerted the radio station we might be doing the show from from my battery-powered SAP laptop and my and me holding my my cell phone for an hour. I was willing to do that, and 22 minutes before we went live, the power poof came back on. So Duke Energy, whoever you are, thank you very much. Your timing was absolutely perfect. So we're here. I'm not <clears throat> allowed, by the way, Colby and uh, Barbara. This is news to you. Jerry understands. They don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days, and you know why. So I'm only allowed to have water, and I have cool, clear water in a cool, clear mug with a yellow straw because it's just going to be keeping on raining and thundering here. It started yesterday, and apparently it's going to go on for the most of the weekend. So, oh, well, what can I tell you? So here we are, all of you. Thank you very much. We are just going to take a quick break. 
break. This is Changing the Game in Consumer Industries Radio. Again, a shout-out to my colleague at SAP, Don Gordon, for pulling together this really, really interesting panel and a great topic. You know what? I changed my mind. Before we go to break, I want to circle around. I have one question for the panel. I call this level setting. Jerry Wolf first, then Barbara Thou, then Colby Sheridan. I think people often confuse CP consumer products with retail as a, as a blanket term. Is it a subset? What exactly comprises the part of the industry called consumer products? Let's just get a, a quick minute from each of you around the table so the audience will understand if we have any, as Barbara says, nuances. Jerry Wolf, what's the difference? Well, the biggest difference is, is that CP is, about, is all about the, the companies that Make the products that we that we buy at retail, and we tend to is a, a good way to think about it is 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 when you go grocery shopping. That's where you get that's where that's where you pick up most of your CP products, whether it's foods or beverages or personal care items. That's really a that's really a way to to, to think about it. It's it's uh, think about it as an as an ecosystem to meet a lot of your you, a lot of your basic daily needs as far as feeding your family and and uh, and and taking care of yourself. Thank you very much. Barbara Thau, what's your take on CP and or versus inside or out subset Venn diagram of retail? What do you think? Well, I'm going to give you the three-year-old kindergarten version. Retail is the place, the house. CP is the stuff inside the house. Ah, interesting, like Colby's beer and coffee, all of different. <laughs> thank, thank you very much. I like the three-year-old version. That's probably very, very suitable. Colby Sheridan, what's your take? No, I, I would absolutely agree with the panelists. Um, the consumer products companies, or at least the term, is referring to the manufacturers, typically speaking. Um, and then the, the retailers, um, are the ones who are the stores who are selling the products themselves. And um, that's really the source of the big dynamic that's happening today in the space is that those traditional retailers are changing um, that we'll get into more. But that's the two. It's, it's where people go to shop is the retailer, consumer products companies are the manufacturers. Thank you very much. Good to have that distinction. And now we're ready for a break. So we're just going to go quickly out for 90 seconds. And when we come back, we're going to deep dive into more about the topic. Again, if you're just tuning in, consumer products industry under attack. Time to reclaim market share. But how? We're finding out from my panelist, Jerry Wolf at Vivanda. Barbara Thau, retail contributing writer at Forbes, etc., etc., holding up the property value in the East Village for all of us, and Colby Sheridan at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to still be after the break. So there, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I promise we'll be back. Aaron, out. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Power your digital transformation. Innovate with new technologies. Integrate them into your business and scale seamlessly as your company grows. Changing the game in consumer industries brings you insights from the movers and shakers who are making this happen. We'll delve into global business challenges and cutting-edge technologies to help you digitally transform for an improved focus on the consumer and the patient. 
Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top consumer industry and technology strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how the digital economy is shaping the future of consumer industries. Changing the Game in Consumer Industries, presented by SAP. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Changing the Game in Consumer Industries, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to changing the game in consumer industries. Yes, indeed we are. And my three special panelists today are Jerry Wolf at Vivanda, Barbara Thau, THAU. If you're going to look her up and see her beautiful smile somewhere on the Internet, and she's a contributing retail writer to Forbes.com and more, and Colby Sheridan, also a wonderful smile <laughs> at SAP. We're going to do a deep dive into our topic now and taking a look at the notes my esteemed panelists sent me before the show. We're going to start with something Jerry Wolf told me, and here is how I'm going to introduce it. He says... Influencing choice is the name of the game, and the world has changed. You can no longer rely on mass media delivering awareness for brands at a hot price at the shelf to catch the attention of a shopper wandering up and down the aisles of a grocery store to close the deal with the consumer. It's not your father's path to purchase. I think I said enough. Jerry, please tell us more. <clears throat> yeah, so I... You know, I, I, there's a, a term that's that's been coined over the last couple of years, which is the grocery wars. And, uh, you know, the big shot fired over the bow was Amazon acquiring Whole Foods. Uh, massive response from Walmart in terms of just really the acquisition of Jet and just completely revamping their omni-channel game. Uh, you see uh, Kroger diving in, and it, it just completely changes the dynamics of how we think about as an indus- as a combined industry of retailers and, and CP manufacturers as to how to meet consumer needs. There's, there's no such thing as a specific channel anymore. It's really it's about it's you know the consumer is going to shop when and where and how she wants to. There's complete transparency on pricing. Uh, so, so uh, it, it just it 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 just casts a, a completely different light on historical uh, brand marketing tactics, shopper marketing tactics, um, the way retailers think about um, merchandising, and and one big outcome of all this is it's tremendously leveled the playing field relative to smaller niche manufacturers developing presence with consumers. It's one of the biggest challenges the CP companies have is, is they have these, what historically companies they wouldn't have even worried about, like taking share from them, and it's really hurting. And so this level playing field, this disruption that's, that's, that's taken place, um, you know, I, I, it, 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 it's having a, a, a tremendous impact on, on, on how, how both the retailers and the manufacturers have to rethink the way that they engage consumers, influence choice, and and win on the path to purchase. 
Thank you very much. Are you optimistic about this, Jerry? When you say level playing field, do you think it's uh, are they in danger, or you think that they're that the traditional brands, quote unquote, are going to be able to actually keep going rather than get swallowed up or pushed out? Well, you know, Bar- Barbara said the right word earlier, which was nuance. You know, I, I, I think I think what we're going to see is there will be winners and losers. I, 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 there have been waves of disruption that have, have affected this ecosystem, you know, over the last 25 years, like the supply chain disruption. And, and in that disruption, there were winners and, and just basically players who didn't do as well, right? But there really weren't a lot of losers. I, I think what we're going to see here is, is that is that there will be CP brands that get it and figure it out mm-hmm. and win, and there are going to be others that get broken up into pieces and, and effectively get subsumed into, into other businesses or die. Yep. The handwriting is on the wall or it's on the shelf in the grocery store, perhaps. Thank you, Jerry. Kicking that off, Barbara Thau, love to get your thoughts on what Jerry just introduced. Talk to us. Oh, I think that was just just spot on. Um, the notion of this, this um, everybody's invited to play now is incredible. I mean, it's just siasmic in terms of the small guys who would never would, would even have had a chance to get on a store shelf uh, and what that means. And I suppose also what struck me about what um, Jerry just said was this, this whole idea of, and this, is, this cannot be under, overstated, um, the transparency and the power of the consumer, which changes everything across product category, meaning if I can look in two seconds and check to see what something costs, be it on a, a, the price of a blouse, the price of a, the, uh, of a hot, hot sauce, that completely empowers me as, in, in ways I've never been empowered before. And, and, and I think the bigger thing was in terms of the path to purchase, and which is also what Jerry which, um, noted, is that even more, I would, I would argue that even more in terms of more than Amazon taking market share, I mean, that's very important, is that the path to purchase, most people now when they buy, that purchase is somehow it starts on a digital device. And that's where the influence is really huge. Um, there was a, I went to a trade show about a year ago, and it really struck me that when these old-school Garmentos, you know, New York City um, apparel vendors who started an off-price show, and, and they were saying, they said to me, you know, there was a time when, the, you know, the Bergdorf's and the high-end retailers, the Saks, these guys, the, the, that clientele wanted, you know, they were, they were willing to pay full price. Well, even... People with tons of money can won't pay full price anymore. The full price mm-hmm. business is almost dead in some on some. So this so the pricing paradigm it just has just such a when the consumer has it's like pulling back the curtain. If when the consumer can see everything like the Wizard of Oz, that completely changes the game and it's a ripple effect to product marketing product. Not to mention the appetite for the consumer to have something personalized and specific. Um, Thank you. Know. Very interesting. I'm, I'm tweeting bits and pieces of what you're saying. Colby Sheraton, we need to get you in on this fascinating conversation. What do you observe, Colby? Yeah, it's good. this is good stuff. Um, I wrote something down here that Barbara said about the power of the consumer. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's really what's upended things. Um, we have this, this uh, we are all, rather, increasingly well-informed consumers um, in, on our digital devices. We, I don't know about you guys, but I, I research... Um, well, not necessarily, you know, food and beverage, but any other durable goods or whatnot. I'm researching that to the nth degree before I purchase it, and I promise you I'm not alone. Um, and 
we also see this issue where, where, where consumers expect to be advised in ways that are timely, tailored, relevant, and increasingly local. And manufacturers and retailers are trying to figure out how they do that with data in a way that's not creepy, uh, is the best way to put it, mm-hmm. um, in my opinion, because they're, they're trying to leverage data. They've got reams of it. They're not quite sure what to do with it, but they're trying right. to figure out how to maintain a share of voice with a consumer that's ultimately going to translate to share of stomach, and hmm. uh, but, but do so in a way that, again, is not big brotherish, is not going to violate any data rights, um, but still present offers that the, the consumers want to pick up on uh, and that will actually convert them from shoppers into buyers. I like that share of stomach. I thought that was uh, that, that. Talk about nuances. You really got me on that one. Thank you very much. And I didn't have breakfast because, you know, no power. What can I tell you? Now you made me even hungrier. Let's circle around to Jerry Wolf. Jerry, interesting comments from your co-panelists. Anything you want to say to wrap this one up? Yeah, I think to wrap it up, it's 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 let's acknowledge let's acknowledge that this notion of disruption is real. This this although it's a violent you know kind of imagery, there is a grocery war that's taking place, and for all of the potential parties affected, the retailers and the manufacturers, while there's a risk of winning and losing, if you don't participate and jump in and get active and get involved you're going to lose. And so it's really, really, really important to, you know, get our respective heads out of the sand and get engaged here and and figure this thing out. Thank you very much, Barbara. I'm looking ahead at your notes here, some very interesting things. Um, Let's talk about uh, e-commerce making it profitable. Let let me read a couple of headlines here from your notes, Barbara, and I'm going to let you decide where you want to go because there's so much of interest here. You say, number one, smart consumer-facing companies are focused not only on the store of the future but on the shopper of the future. And you mentioned a few minutes ago that – the path path to purchase is often starting on a mobile device, and that that's of interest to us. Number two, you say conventional wisdom says consumer products companies or the retailer is at is the brand at the center of the shopping equation. Not anymore. It's the consumer who is the brand. I found that interesting. And one more, you say consumer facing companies, whether CP or retail, are struggling with how to make e commerce profitable. I love them all, Barbara. I'm not sure where to go. Where would you like to go? Oh wow. <clears throat> Um, when we talk to, I mean, the consumer being the brand, I think that's, you know, obviously it's all happening, right? But what, mm-hmm. what I wanted to stress about that was there's something to be said about top-down marketing, top-down dictating what the consumer looks like, be it, you know, apparel and uh, in, in, the, in the clothing world, be it what they eat, personalization of of everything, and, and that word, that word is, let me just unpack that word, because I'm, I, yeah. that word's becoming like lifestyle. I'm really getting sick of that word, sorry. <laughs> but let's just unpack that stupid word. Um, anyway, sorry, it's not stupid, but it's become stupid. But it's annoying, meaningless. it's annoying. What I mean to say is that when I was a teenager, I'm going to totally date myself, everybody wanted this, the Benetton jersey, right? Yeah, so, Benetton, right. Exactly. So this is sort of, and there was like the, 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 the apparel brands that built their their cachet on on dictating on dictating luxury the luxury uniform be it the Ralph Lorenz you know the coaches whatever and the logo was I mean we can argue now that that's in many ways disintegrated I'm not saying that the brands don't still have power but 
so much of of um, branding has been become, at least in, in I'm talking about apparel right now, and you could even argue in food that the why why has why is private label having a moment in food, right? Because the notion of these this, this assigned idea of status has changed. People want to look like themselves, which is I think a healthy thing. And mm-hmm. because because they've personalized their brands on Facebook and Instagram, and it's and there is this kind of confessional uh, society where we have, especially in the, among young people, where they are the brand. So this trickles down, and also when the, 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 the combination of that and the combination of the we've never had unlimited choice before. I've ne- we never had this, you know, neural neural not to sound all hoity-toity or whatever, but. There's literally a neurological shift that, you know, that has happened when you have infinite choice at your fingertips in terms of what you can read, in terms of what you can consume, and you have the global marketplace at your fingertips. So when that happens, these, these, the five brands that, you're, that are selling in the department store or the five CPG brands on the shelf are less interesting because you, wanna, you want specificity. So I think that's really... A big, an important behavioral taste shift that the consumer, you know, the consumer can, the consumer dictates what he can, what he or she consumes. Um, but that's what, yeah, that's what I'm. That's that's one element of it. Thank you, Barbara. I think I think there's enough meat on the bones there for us to go around the table and see what our colleagues say. So, Colby Sheridan, what do you think? Any comments on what Barbara just shared? I love the uh, the psychological aspect that that, um, that Barbara shared uh, when it comes to choice. Um, the the consumer products companies have for decades honed their skills around positioning their products in store, and they've gotten um, what is arguably you know the most expensive real estate in the world placement down to a science. And what e-commerce has done is turn that on its head. So now they're having mm-hmm. to completely rethink um, product placement and how to get attention of the consumer in this world, like Barbara said, of, of infinite choice. And so they're, they're having to re-figure out how to get share of mind with the, the consumers. Um, and Amazon made e-commerce easy for the consumer. Um, they figured out how to make shipping easy and satisfy um, you know the the um, the, the instant sh- uh, shipping process. Um, other retailers are starting to pick up on it. I had a nice experience in a, a Walmart last week where I ordered something and had it delivered to the store, and it was seamless and it was as mm-hmm. convenient as ordering something from Amazon. So um, I think that, uh, that, that that companies are starting to figure out some of the the messaging there, but um, they have to continue to do so. So as an example. Uh, you know, manufacturers have for years um, set this model up of national brands that are more profitable and more expensive, more profitable and supposedly superior to private label. But Amazon, again, has turned that on its head as well with things like Alexa and the smart speakers where you, you go and ask for, hey, Alexa, order me some batteries. You're not going to get a top two or three national brand. You're going to get Amazon private label batteries. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, in a sense, the shelf space or the display that that companies used to pay for is now virtual. And so companies are still having to figure out how that's going to work in this new realm uh, and profit from it. 
Thank you, Colby. Jerry Wolf, waiting patiently. Talk to us. Thoughts, please. Yeah, so, you know, I think to build on that a little bit more, you know, if you think about, if you think about, you know, brands, brands have to shift, shift from mass and large segment thinking, consumer segment thinking, this is a CP brands, to segments of one. That's not an entirely new idea, but it's a possible idea today. It's possible to garner the data and to create the insight in pretty close to real time to be able to find the consumer where she is and, and, and be better positioned to engage and activate. And the way you do that is by understanding need. And so from, from a brand perspective, instead of talking at the consumer, it's all about understanding the consumer and turning that into a, a means to meet a need. I think a broader construct here to think about this is the idea of, of brand adding, if brand has largely been about marketing products historically, it, the opportunity is to evolve to more of a service wrapper around it. And I think that's what digital brings. It's an opportunity throughout the, 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 the throughout consideration to purchase to be able to, to, to meet a, a need. And that's where the personalization comes into play. How, what, what, what you need in the moment is different than what I need in the moment as I'm thinking about what to have for dinner tonight, as an example. So, so the, the technologies are available today, the competencies and skill sets of being able to harness all this data that's available is, is, is in place today. And, and the challenge becomes one of, of putting it to work. So for the brand, again, that construct is let's add a service wrapper to, to how we think about engaging and maintaining a relationship and, and maintaining loyalty um, with the consumer. And, and it's all about um, digital in terms of delivery. Thank you very much. Barbara, you want to wrap this one up? Interesting comments from your yeah. co-panelists today. What do you I think? I love that. The, like, yeah, the notion of serve, being a service rapper is really, uh, really on point because it seems as though, you know, the notion of you know, being a solution and, and not, not uh, as um, Colby, right? Colby said, not talking at the consumer. And I think with one element of marketing that I, that I think is, 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 uh, is um, a big opportunity for, or could be, let's say, as, as a, I always like to say, I like to say, as a reporter, I never want to be prescriptive, but informative, and we go, you know, in terms of what's working, the hard ROI. It seems as though user-generated content has a real is a real opportunity for consumer products brands. In other words, let the consumer, who better than the consumer who's using the, your products, to talk about your products and to be the the raw material, the content that show take, showcases your products in action, that brings it to life, that engages, that, that has a, com- that where you can pivot off a conversation, be it um, product reviews and texts on a product, good and bad, um, or photos of, of so-and-so using this makeup line or so-and-so styling an outfit. And we're, and, you know, what increasingly reports have, have revealed that user-generated content, uh, meaning the consumer, the consumer's um, take on a brand or a retailer, be it on Facebook, be it on Twitter, be it on, consum- on product re- customer review sites, Amazon reviews, holds way more sway with their peer shoppers than any branded messages. 
So I think that's a big opportunity for to tap into not only just not only you know to to use as a marketing vehicle, but also rich with data insights on what's working with a with a product, what's not working, what's what are, what are the gaps in the assortment based on what you know it could be around very you know basic things like the fit of a jacket maybe is off the sizing. This is what's missing in the assortment. You know, there's just rich, really really rich data there. Thank you very much, Barbara. Very, very interesting. I want to make sure we have time to cover. We have a little bit of time left. Something interesting here from Colby Sheridan's notes. Colby, I'm looking at almost at the end of what you send me, and you say, CP companies are also understanding that traditional manners of innovation are unsustainable. Many are relying on acquiring smaller, nimbler brands or incubating completely new brands from within that appear, and you put appear in quotes, which I'd like you to explain, that appear novel, fresh, or differentiated. You can give case studies, or you can just be generic. Colby, love to hear this, please. Yep, yeah, happy to. So a source of revenue growth for years for the CP companies was line extensions and, and, uh, and, and just innovation period. So think, you know, crunchier version of a cookie or chewier version of a cookie or a different scent of a, you know, cleaning product or whatever. And these were all incremental improvements to the products to generate interest with the consumers. The problem with this is over the years, the, the vast majority of, of these product innovations weren't around after two or three years of being in distribution. So they were really were a waste of money. And so that was innovation for years. Um, and what's happened is these smaller, nimbler upstarts um, have really captured the hearts and minds of consumers uh, and, and driven growth of their own, but eaten a share of the big guys. Um, Dollar Shave Club is a classic example of, you know, it started out as just razors. They expanded into other, um, you know, health and beauty care products like gel and, and um, lotions and cleaners and whatnot. But they got bought for a billion dollars by a big CP manufacturer, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, pretty pretty nice chunk of change. Um, so, so, so it's kind of the, that's the buy it approach. Now, the build it your, yourself approach is where companies literally create little, you know, side projects or side companies within the large organization and give them a broader degree of latitude where they can innovate and build, um, you know, new brands and new markets that, again, appear to be, um, you know, uh, organic or, you know, GMO-free or, you know, more innovative, uh, more spry, uh, but they're still part of a larger CP conglomerate. Um, and, and, but they can also buy other companies as well. So this has been very pervasive in the, again, we'll mention beer in the beer industry. So mm-hmm. a lot of the big brewers were buying share with the craft beer and craft brewers, um, and then bringing them into themselves and, and sorry, under their, under their own umbrella. So there's a couple of ways that they're trying to innovate. The old ways are certainly not working and they're looking for new opportunities and they're either buying that, that, uh, that innovation or, or, um, or, or building it from the inside. Thank you, Colby. Interesting nuance. Barbara, I can't get over that word. Sorry, I keep going back to it. Nuance on our topic. I'd love to bring in Jerry Wolf for a brief comment. Jerry, just a minute, and then Barbara Thau, and then we're going to go back to Jerry to start our crystal ball predictions round. So, Jerry, what do you think about Colby's I- introduction to the concept of innovation? Is it the same old anymore? They have to find new ways. What's your thought? 
Yeah, they have to find new ways, and 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 I, I don't have the answer for this, but there are there are massive structural constraints that are obstacles to doing this effectively. Whether it's how do you make a small a small business survive in these behemoths that are built to do things steady as she goes, manage risk, you know, very very incremental innovation. These small companies get lost in these big companies. It's hard to maintain the innovation. And the second piece is, is part of the reason these small guys can compete and steal share is because oftentimes they're not public companies. So they don't have the external margin expectations that a Conagra or a Kraft Heinz or a Mondelez or a PepsiCo or a Coca-Cola have. And so they have a much different, a much different um, uh, profit structure and ability to invest in stealing share than these big guys have in defending it and growing. So it's, it is, it, we're early into this trend that, that, that Colby talked about. Um, not sure how it's going to play out because in some ways it almost seems unsolvable within the confines mm-hmm. of, of uh, public company uh, financials and uh, shareholder expectations. It's part of the whole, you know, whole dynamic about, about this, this perspective on disruption. Thank you very much, Barbara Thal. I have exactly 60 seconds for you to comment on this, and then we have to go into our predictions round. So, Barbara, all yours. Go ahead. Well, the whole eating up the big guys, eating up the little guys after, they, after the little guys are innovating, I'd love to hear more from Jerry and Colby on that, on from the consumer product side, because in retail, we're seeing the big guys, save for Amazon, the big retailers, and Walmart bought Bonobos and ModCloth and Hudson's Bay bought all those flags, you know, those... Uh, Flash sale sites like like uh, Guild Group, so it seems as though the the little guys can't really survive in the long haul. There's a, there's the curve of disruption, and then non survival. From what I understand, and I just would love to get Jerry and Colby's take on that. I want to understand more from the consumer product side if that's an accurate depiction of the cycle. Barbara, you know what we're going to have to do? I, you're forcing my hand here, Barbara Thau. I'm going to have to invite the three of you to come back on my flagship show, Coffee Break with Game Changers, for part two and continue the conversation, and we can make sure we put that at the top of the list. So, Barbara, please put that down in your notes and remind me. So I hope the three of you will accept my invitation, but for right now, we are deep into the predictions round, so we've got to go back to Jerry Wolf at Vivanda. Jerry, you know the drill. I've got 60 seconds with your name on them. Why don't you tell us what you see coming up the pike? I won't say down the pike. In CP, are they going to be able to get out from under that attack and reclaim market share? What do you see? Let's go to between 2020 and 2025. Jerry Wolf, 60 yeah. seconds, go. Yeah, I, you know, when I look at my crystal ball, the, the, the big prediction that I'd like to make is, is around how retailers and manufacturers collaborate in a fundamentally Different way. I, the the days of the, of a transactional interaction uh, will be well in the rearview mirror. At that point, we'll see a blur between trade promotion, shopper marketing, and brand consumer marketing. The way that dollars flow between those different areas, we're likely to see massive swings, and we'll see a, 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 a for the for the for the firms that win through collaboration, we'll see unprecedented levels of data sharing, insight sharing, and frankly, interoperability to be able to deliver an experience to the consumer anywhere along the path to purchase in a highly relevant and personalized way. That's how, com- that's how the participants in the ecosystem are going to win. 
Thank you very much, Jerry. Let's go to Barbara Thal. Barbara, I have 60 seconds. Oh, maybe 80 seconds with your name on them. They're all yours. Go. Um, more oddball partnerships such as Aldi and Kohl's, BuzzFeed and Walmart, Walmart and Nord and Taylor. What? <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah. What? We're just going to, you know, we're just seeing like all the walls come down as retailers try to catch, you know, piggyback on somebody else's demographic, uh, market share, blah, 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 product category expertise. Uh, just strange retail partnerships, let's say. We'll see more of Very, that. very strange. Thank you. Colby Sheridan, I have 60 seconds for you. I can give you 90, actually, because they were so concise. All yours, Colby, go. No, I appreciate that. No, I think collaboration is going to be key. Absolutely agree with Jerry from that perspective between the retailers and the CP manufacturers. I think we're also going to see a continued uh, you know, morph into segmentation, uh, more segmentation of consumers, uh, more segmentation of categories. Um, consumers today already want um, you know, personalized offers, right, just, just for them. Um, what's the best option for me? And they want more consumer outcomes, not necessarily consumer products. So they want Mm -hmm. the experience. Um, The companies that are going to thrive in this environment uh, are going to figure that out first. They're going to figure out how to use the data better to, uh, again, better segment their their consumers. They're also going to probably look to segment their, their channels um, and again, do it in a way that's not creepy. Um, I am optimistic um, from one of your questions earlier. Um, I think that those that get it right will survive, but we are going to see some, some corporate Darwinism at work where some of the companies who don't that struggle are going to fall by the wayside. We're going to see some interesting mergers uh, continue as well. Um, but I think with this disruption, this change, there's a lot of opportunities for companies to, again, use the data to better target their consumers in novel ways to offer experiences that are going to keep those consumers coming back. Thank you very much. All three very articulate. I do hope you'll look for my email coming later today with some date options. I think we're booking for August and September already on Coffee Break, and I have one comment here. Since I moved to Durham, I was wondering, since I left the opportunity to shop within a half a block to three blocks of my home in, on Long Island by foot, I now have to drive. But a mile and mile point two away is a brand new, down here it's called Harris Teeter. It's not just a grocery store. Barbara, they have one of the biggest wine beer departments that rivals any liquor store. I kid you not. You go there when you get lost up and down the aisles. They have a bar where you can sit and drink and watch TV. They have a bakery department, a seafood department. They've got a consumer products department. I can buy everything from stockings to mouthwash to makeup in the store. It's like going into a mall in one store and that has changed the whole experience for me. I actually go there and get dressed up and look forward to going there. And if you ask somebody a question, in the store, they will leave their post, whatever they're doing, and they will walk you to the right department and help you find what you're looking for. Never had that kind of service experience in a store, in a grocery store in New York. I rest my case. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you so much for listening. We've got 30 30 seconds here. I want to thank my three esteemed, very articulate panelists, and I promise you I'll get them back one way or another. Jerry Wolf at Vivanda, it's been great reconnecting with you. Barbara Thau, retail writer. Barbara, you're a riot and a half at 
and I just appreciate the New York boldness of what you say and, and everything you said spot on. Colby Sheridan, real pleasure to get to know you. And again, shout out to Don Gordon at SAP. Don, you really rock this one. Great job putting it together. And a shout out as well to your customers and Michelle Schuf, who worked with Don on this series. So here's my call to action. Of course, Aaron, our, our engineer at radio. Uh, fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game in Consumer Industries, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.